Hello, regulars. You're listening to Floor by Floor, a Tower of God podcast discussing the latest chapters of the webtoon. I'm Veerlane. And I'm Riziat. And we're your hosts. Welcome to the 13th floor, where we'll be discussing chapters 578 and 579, or Season 3, Episode 161 and 162. This week, we'll be doing things a little differently. Due to being extra busy this month, we'll be doing an episode bi-weekly instead of once a week. We'll still be covering two episodes in order to keep up, though. There won't be a recap. We'll roll right into the first summary of Chapter 578. In the submarine briefing room, Kuhn confirms they haven't received the match location from the Pobedao yet. The Pobedao wants someone to watch the submarine, so they're going to a rendezvous point. Kuhn thinks they won't let them know the match location until they board. Gororo says they'll dock to resupply then. El Baba secretly plans to take care of the princesses once they dock. He has a vendetta against Laura because she was especially happy to see Elaine get disqualified to be a princess. After Goro leaps to get docking clearance, Bomb approaches Kuhn and requests a private chat. They go to Endorsi's private room, and Bomb tells him about Alpaba and how suspicious he was acting towards Shilio and Lilio. Endorsi says there's no way they'd have a good relationship after the name hunt station. Bomb says they should keep an eye on Alpaba. Things will get complicated once they dock. Endorsi says they shouldn't bother looking out for them, to let them kill each other. Bomb asks, but aren't they like her sisters? And Endorsi declines, saying they're just competition. Bomb tries to argue, but she cuts him off. The problem is that Bomb is being nice to them and they're taking advantage of him. Bomb says he's not doing it for them specifically, but if they're family, what's wrong with treating them nicely? Endorsi gets fed up and throws a pillow at Bomb and kicks them out. Bomb is confused why Bob and Endorsi don't care about their families, and Kuhn tells him it's best he doesn't find out. A transport ship deploys from the submarine. Inside it, Yuri tells Bomb she's leaving here since she got to make sure the Black March is safe with him. It would be dangerous for her to get involved. They land and meet up with Tiara and Matt, and Yuri is upset to see Tiara, who is chosen for surveillance, and starts to squabble with her. Bomb tries to cut in, telling them to both please calm down. Yuri tells him the grown-ups are talking, and Tiara tells him Yuri is a safety hazard, so he should step back. Bomb timidly gives up. We cut to Laura eating her pasta, but as soon as someone buzzes into her room, she goes back to pretending she's asleep. El Baba enters. He tells her it must be shocking to not have their children act like they want them to, but the sin of the children is carried by the parent. The family head has decided to give her one last chance. He leaves a tracker and tells her to go to the station and the Lopopia family will come for her and her daughters. He leaves and Laura sits up to look at the tracker. Shelial and Lilial are talking crap about Alpapa as they walk down a corridor, but subtly worry that Bomb will choose Elaine over them. They enter Laura's room, but she's gone. They rush out looking for her and run into Alpapa. He asks them if Laura's missing and they are confused how he knows. He tells them that she asked him if there was a way to return to the family head, and he told her no. After that, he placed a tracker on Laura just in case, so he'll go look for her. Shelial and Lilial decline his help, so he gives them the tracker and offers to drive them to the station. We cut to Bomb, Kuhn, and Rack making their way back to the submarine after buying supplies. Bomb gets a call from Cha who fills him in on the situation with Alpapa. We cut to Lilio and Shilio catching up to their mother, who declines to go back and enters a dock with a ship. She urges Lilio and Shilio to take it back to the Lopobia mothership and beg for forgiveness. Shilio tells her it's too late for that, they've already made their decision. Laura says there's still time because she's been able to reverse her own mistakes. Alpapa makes his appearance and says he's here to capture them, 
The family head doesn't see Laura as anything other than a tool to produce princesses. They are just expendable chess pieces in order to get what he wants. Therefore, he plans to get rid of them. Albaba summons his gray wolf beast, and a snake master appears. Albaba is shocked and looks worried. Laura reveals she brought him here because she never believed Albaba's lie about the family head taking them in again. The trap was actually for him. Albaba tries to act tough, but Laura asks her daughters to summon their regular who is stronger than Albaba. Laura then goes on to say she recorded his little spiel and can give it to the family head. Then he'll be the one to get tossed out. But she'll stay quiet if he becomes an obedient dog to only her. He will report to her first before the family head. Albaba has no choice but to do what she says. Kuhn, Baum, and Rack are running down the hall when they run into Laura and the others. Laura hams it up in front of Baum, acting grateful for his concern. She says everything's fine, there was just a small misunderstanding, as she grabs his arm and invites him for light tea. As they walk, Laura tells him that Albaba won't be able to surveil correctly since she found his weakness. She requests Baum to meet up with Lobodon before the match. He'll know how to keep her family safe. She tells Baum that Kieran has a tight hold on internal family affairs and opposes her grandfather. Kieran is the true person leading the war. Lobodon has been looking for a way to block Kieran and the army, and if Baum meets him, Baum will be able to find a way to end the war. Baum meets back up with Kuhn and Rack and tells them they have to go meet Lobodon. Meanwhile, at the Pobodel defense line, bodies are being torn apart by Tramaray. He doesn't see the ship he's hunting for, so he decides to move to another base. We cut to Kieran confirming he's leaving the mothership to go catch the regular. He orders the remaining family branch heads to attack. He expects Tramaray to suppress the Pobodau attack and move to the match location. He will catch the regular the day before the match. And that's the end of that chapter. So, Yuri was kind of made irrelevant again. It was cool seeing her again over the last few chapters, but hmm, what does Siu have in store for her since she's ducking out at this Pobodau station? Backup? And where the heck is Jinsung? He's some specter floating around in the background now. And it seems Cha is the only one that would have any sort of idea where he might be, but even then, right now, he has no clue. I was hoping we'll get an answer to that soon, but it's not within these two chapters, unfortunately. But one thing I do like about this chapter is that we got some insight as to the internal family dynamics of the Lopobia. There's a lot of internal competition to stay in Traumarai's favor. It's kind of like the law of the jungle, just magnified, because the entire tower is the law of the jungle, but the Lopopia, especially so. And you can see that with Laura and Olbava's interactions, and the whole bit where it seems like Laura was excited for Elaine to get disqualified from the princess standing, and it seems like there's always a group of people always behind each other and quickly ostracizing those that they see unfit. It's something constantly hinted at it within the Kuhn family, too. So it makes you wonder if the princess system just completely corrupted a lot of the ten great families' relationships, internally, that is, where only the best of the best get to rise up. And it was nice to see Obaba used as a plot device to demonstrate Laura's competence and cunning. She used him through his really crappy last-minute ploy, so good for her! She got him good. He really thought he had the upper hand there, but... Nope. She kind of got me good, too. Because Traumarai did previously say that she'll die by his hand no matter what she does. I was wondering if Albaba was that hand, but it seems like we've been proven wrong and she's a very sharp woman. 
I've been hinged on trying to find out when this will happen, though. Soon, maybe? Or will Baum maybe get a chance to demonstrate an ability to break people's fates with that opportunity by saving her from that end? I feel like maybe not. He'll probably end up bloating the character count so far, because there are a lot of people around here nowadays. Maybe we'll end up getting a repeat of the Deng Deng situation. We'll see how he takes it this time. He won't take it well, but it won't be as bad as before. And that's kind of scary when you start getting used to that happening. We'll get to see if Kuhn's influence on him, and also the dark change, makes him see things a little differently. We'll see with what's to come. But in the meantime, it's interesting to see Laura's motivations. Her focus seems now to be her family and seeking their collective happiness. Maybe, given her life circumstances, perhaps she previously searched for power and status like most do in the tower, and now considers those choices the past mistakes that she committed and managed to get corrected. She seems a victim of circumstances like everyone else and is doing her best with it, same way Shilio wants to do as well with her lot in life. And on the topic of Shilio accepting her fate and wanting to do her best with it, it kind of makes me wonder if Lilio is a representation of Laura in her younger years, concerned with doing well by the family and serving them loyally, unable to consider breaking rules and expectations because they're considered wrong, that her family, the Lopo Bia, is incapable of any wrongdoing in the tower, and so anything demanded of her she does despite her personal opinions on the matter. I'm thinking of the consequences they have for her own life, like a loyal pawn. And at some point, Laura perhaps realized this, and those were the mistakes that she strove to undo, being that blind and that loyal to something that is actually generally not a good thing. Perhaps the way Traumarai treated her kind of opened her eyes to maybe things aren't as nice as they've always seemed. A part of me kind of hopes that Lilio finally gets that moment too where she stops being such a lopobia good pawn and realizes, oh, well, my entire life has been a lie. Either she realizes that, or she becomes a point of betrayal in this plotline. I think she would have that opportunity. Hopefully it doesn't come to that, but I think she definitely has, with that mentality, the opportunity to betray them. You know, she certainly does. She could, at some point, just decide, no... I'm just not going to accept the alternative here and stick to my convictions and just airs everybody's dirty laundry here. And oh no, we've got another problem to warm ourselves out of. It'll be up to see you to see if he can balance all of these different plot lines. There's quite a couple running right now. I kind of hope he lets this one slip <laughs> and it just <laughs> happens. It's a lot to keep track of right now. And some of them are a little out there, but I feel like Baum accepting Laura's offer to see Lobodon doesn't really fall in that category. It makes sense. And it kind of sounds like it has other intentions behind it. And you could say it does. It's a way out for Laura and her daughters, a sense of freedom. But it also promises a means of trying to end this war and or provide an escape route for Bomb and Co. to get out from where they are. So, you know, it makes sense he'd accept it without questioning it. No one else has seemed to offer a means out of this battle yet. And here Laura is with the potential for one. Which brings me back to something that I've seen a couple people have contention with in this chapter, which is Endorsi and Baum's argument in her room. Like, I can understand Endorsi getting frustrated with Baum earlier in the chapter. Like, why is he always helping everyone, especially her enemies? 
I'm kind of not a fan that she isn't direct about that line of thought, though, since Bomb obviously doesn't understand her point of view. They're her enemy slash competition, though, not Bomb's. And it's kind of foolish for her to think that just because they're her enemies, they're Bomb's too, and that he should see them in the same light. My understanding is that Bomb promised the twins he'd help them out because he sees them as victims of their circumstances under the Ten Great Families ruling and not enemies. And Dorsey doesn't seem to want to accept that aspect or hasn't thought of it. We're not sure. It's, that's kind of unclear. But honestly, I just feel like they really need to sit down and stop being avoidant about that. Or at least in Dorsey herself. Instead of just telling him to figure it out for himself, perhaps she should try meeting him in the middle ground and just talk about these ideals directly instead of leaving it silent like they are. Expecting people to get hints that are going over each other's heads ending up in misunderstandings like what happened at the name hunt station. And a lot of this current arc kind of feels like a back and forth answering for a lot of what happened at the name hunt station, or like a mirror of what's going on there in terms of politics and relationships. So Baum is just trying to do good. And Dorsey's just like, you should be more worried about your friends. But it still has that edge as though she just kind of wants him to listen to her and do what she wants. Being a princess is such a big part of her identity that I think she really struggles to see outside of it. And that makes sense too. Everything is competition for Endorsey. It's been the big defining thing in her entire life. So it makes sense that she wouldn't want to try to exhibit any sort of compassion or anything. It's likely a weakness. But at this point in time, allied with a Slayer candidate as she is, does she really need to continue thinking that way? I kind of hope something you know, starts to reason with her or change her opinion. She definitely has a lot of room to grow, and it's still pretty early in the story, despite having gone on for as long as it has. There's still plenty of time for her to change her mind. And if she doesn't, at least, perhaps she learns to compromise a bit. The world is a-changing, and the system that she's been in is also swiftly changing, and she needs to adapt. In a sense, that's something Baum is going to be able to free her from eventually. Provided it all goes well. Which, well, hmm, it could go either way. There's still a lot of plot to cover. And Kieran here, moving on to the end of the chapter. We're still not sure where he stands. His loyalty is absolutely nebulous. As it was confirmed in the chapter before this one, Kieran is definitely playing two hands to further his own plans. So who knows how loyal he actually is to Chamara right now, or if he's playing the role in order to get his hands on Bomb for some other reason. He's placed heavy emphasis on him being the one and only to get to Bomb, and that's certainly got to be for one reason or another. He goes on to say he's going to seek Lobodon out, and it seems clear he will somehow either encounter Yama and the others in a transport ship full of beeskin that Lobodon ordered exterminated. And well, that was the case in this week's chapter, number 579. In the central region, the Popodal army is freaking out. The Lopobia branch heads have assembled their armies, and they are much more than they can handle. Popadal Luni, a high ranker and the second fleet captain, orders them to stop asking questions and attack per the mothership's orders. If they endure, the odds will turn in their favor. In the Lopobia side, various branch heads are discussing how the Popadal are not re-cheating, and it might mean that their family branch head may appear. The match would come down to the family heads, and the branch heads' roles would be useless. Kieran tells them they should be grateful to be alive thanks to the family head. Their regular is in Popadal territory, so they will break through the defenses and capture him first. 
He threatens them to get moving, and the family branch heads fearfully go. Kieran gets a call confirming Bomb's location at a small stop in Pobedal territory. The caller asks if they should take care of the revolution group, and Kieran says it's too early. When they start the battle with the Pobedal army, they'll withdraw and go catch the regular. Once Kieran has the regular, then they can deal with them. We go back a day to the central region, where the ship Yama and the others boarded with the Beastkin is arriving at an assembly area. Kadidi is organizing the transport ships and orders his team to incinerate the transport ship and the Beastkin. Giant hippos shoot beams from their mouths and start shredding the ship. Doom tells Yama that they found out that they've infiltrated the ship, and Yama's upset that they would sacrifice the Beastkin like nothing. Yama comes out and introduces himself to Kadidi. Kadidi is surprised the Slayer is here and orders everyone to take a defensive position and not to let them escape. Yama tells Doom to come out with the Beastkin. Kadidi asks Yama if he's declaring war, and Yama smugly says that he was planning on backstabbing them while they were busy fighting. Kadidi's brother, Lopobia Katan, comes out and tells Kadidi to go back because he wouldn't be able to stop Yama with a hundred hippos. Doom objects to Yama fighting because he's still injured, but Yama stops him. He tells Katan to not touch the Beastkin while they fight, and Katan agrees. The exchange blows, and Yama's physically overpowering Katan until Katan puts some distance between them and summons his guns. Yama calls for a timeout as he gets shot by a rifle. Yama mocks him that his weapons don't match his appearance, so Katan pulls out a bazooka. Yama does a full transformation and tells Doom it only tickles, but Doom is worried about the accumulating damage. Katan goes all out and summons a line of guns until he gets interrupted by the commander. The commander says he might have ordered all the beastkin killed, but since it's Baylord Yama, that changes everything. Yasracha stirs as he recognizes the voice. The commander asks if he is Wang Wang's son, and Yama asks if he knows him. Welcome back to the Lopobia battlefield, says the commander, and introduces himself as Lobodon. And that ends the chapter. Before I dive into talking about this particular chapter, I'm going to start with some meta talk. This was more a setup chapter than anything, really, but what? Laser firing hippos? Guns? Goofy discount dollar store Lopopia America? I'm glad Lovadon is finally getting some real screen time, but I found it a little difficult to take this chapter seriously. <laughs> it was pretty fun to meme Katan, though. A lot of people are just calling him Color Swap Kalavan, and yeah, the resemblance is very, very strong. It seems like CU can only draw two different types of bodies. The buff Calvan bodies or the soft boys like Bomb. It's like same face syndrome, except now same body syndrome. Oh dear. And honestly, it was exciting to see a lot of branch leaders introduced, but my god, how important will they all be anyway? It kind of reminds me of that one chapter at the last station where all these colorful Jihad army people were introduced and then absolutely nothing happened with them. A lot of them died. And I bet no one remembers any of them except for Dorian Frog. And really, one of them is named Wee Wee. <laughs> I can't. Did Traumerai run out of names and begin using sounds that made him giggle internally? He has the mask on. You can't see him grinning. That's a scary image, Traumerai grinning like a maniac, and yet we can't even tell. Nope. Anyway, discount Kalavan aside, I'm curious why Looney doesn't trust Belarir. Of course, Belarir hasn't given us, the readers, any reason to consider him a trustworthy person either, especially with his association with Rachel, 
but what is he planning? His being a member of Revolution kind of stands to reason that we'd assume he'd be wanting to help Gororo, and subsequently Bomb, fall into Pobeda control, or further, him and Kirin working together to pull Bomb out of the influence of any great families and into Revolution's control, and maybe Rachel reuniting with Bomb again becoming a reality. God, that's going to be messy. Remembering the last things Bomb has told her, it's definitely going to be a not-so-welcome reunion. I definitely hope, though, that if they do reunite at some point in the future, that Rachel's perception of Bomb is still as someone that she can push over, and then she gets a rude awakening, because Bomb isn't really like that anymore. Not at all. Regardless, in the meantime, with all the branchettes there and Kirin mobilizing them, they're kind of worried about facing off against Gustong himself, but I don't think he'll show to beat them up the way Traumarai has. Those parts of the armies will probably end up clashing with the Beatty Shinwon Ryu ship that Traumarai was lured in with, and subsequently might get destroyed. Sure seems like the Lopo Biao forces are nothing but cannon fodder no one cares about. Out of like the 20 or 30 major named ones that we've seen, I think more than half of them are dead. CU's working overtime coming up with these silly names. And that might be why they have these silly names, because they are literally cannon fodder. <laughs> but then the most exciting part of this chapter is Lobodon and Yama meeting. It was real interesting to see that Lobodon recognizes the Baylord name, and Yasracha too also recognized Lobodon's voice. I want to see what happens there. Will Yasracha get involved? And will he have any sort of positive or negative influence in the current situation? As mentioned earlier, this was very much a setup chapter, much like a lot of the past ones we've had. And it's really hard to tell where everyone not Bomb and Company's loyalties currently lie. So I hope we start getting some answers. For real, every week we were asking for answers. We get a few, and then we get a whole bunch more questions, like always. But I think we're at the point where a lot of the plot threads are starting to tie together, and answers are all that's left on the table for us to get. And so we're just left in suspense to see where all of this goes. So I hope you, like me, and maybe everyone else, hopes that we get some. It definitely feels like we have a room full of people and we have no idea who they're rooting for. So please, some answers. Yes. Finally, please. Because it certainly does seem like everyone has been pushed into one room at this point. Please, you, make everyone talk. Spill the beans. Give us the story. Maybe he'll cook us up some answers. Next chapter. Next chapter. Now we wait. And with that, thank you so much for joining us, regulars. We will see you on the next floor. Have a good one. Goodbye.